0: Good morning, y'all, and welcome to episode 186, part one of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for joining me today. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to read another review off of iTunes. The subject of this review is Fantastic Resource for Creatives, another five stars. And this review is left by Dinky underscore Cutler underscore 72. Dinky Cutler, yo. Uh, This review says, the inner workings and history of designers through a curated set of questions. You know, I've never thought of it that way. That's brilliant. I like that. Um, It goes on to say, just great to hear how designers get to where they've gotten. Dave is a great calming presence and drives things to the heart of what matters to those of us who make a living in design. Dinky Cutler underscore 72, thank you so much for leaving that review. I appreciate you listening to the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to leave a review. So let's get to the guest. Today's guest is the wonderful, bright, talented, and fun Mina Khalili. She's a professor, designer, and currently runs Curiosity HQ, which is her design practice. During part one of this interview, we talk about her first few gigs in design and how they didn't go as planned. We talk about her first big girl job. I did air quotes there, just so you know, air quotes, big girl job. Her first teaching gig, where that came from, how that all came about. We also talk about the... Olympics of Art that she attended in 2017 and the influence that it had on her at the time. We also talk about the project that turned into a book that she was a part of, what that was all about. We get into the people she has met and who she looks up to in the design game. And uh, my gosh, we're also talking about print. Gotta throw that in there. The uh, print project where she was able to surprise and delight. And that is what is so awesome about print. You have the ability to surprise and delight like you can't in the digital world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a fantastic interview. Mina is just overflowing with energy and excitement for design and the community around design. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her and you're going to love this. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, part one of my interview with Mina Khalili. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So are you ready for a quickie?
0: Hey, Mina, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you?
1: Hey, Dave, I'm doing well. Thanks.
0: Sweet. Are you ready for a quickie? I certainly am. Perfect. I always start with the tough stuff, so briefly (laughs) tell the listeners about yourself.
1: Um, let's see. My name is Mina Khalili. Um, I am a native of Washington, D.C., but I have been in uh, Nashville, in Louisville, in Richmond, Virginia, and I am now in Columbia, South Carolina. All of those places um, have been homes for work for me. And so yeah. I've been an assistant professor in all of those cities. I'm a design educator. Um, I use both analog and digital formats in my work. My studio practice vacillates between uh, digital experiences and analog
0: experiences. So did you uh, say your studio it vacillates? Yeah. I love it. Uh,
1: yeah, that's grad school speak for goes yeah. back and forth.
0: Yeah, no, I much prefer that. <laughs> Next time I have a decision to make, you know, I'm vacillating between option 1 and option 2 here.
1: Don't think for a second I don't say that at least once a week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sorry, I did not mean to cut in, but that word was I <laughs> no, had to funny. pause at that word for a second there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's great. Uh, I really that's that's sort of who I am. I, I exhibit around the world um, my artwork, uh, which you know focuses on illustration and graphic design. Um, and I'm a teacher. I I'm a professor of design, and that's that's pretty much who I am.
0: I love it. Okay, I'm gonna I gotta dissect that, unpack that a little bit here. <laughs> so, how did you? What was the first design position when you were? before you started the moving around and the assistant professor stuff, give me yeah. give me the beginning. Give me the chronological order here of, of growth and challenge. Oh, good
1: grief. Um, so uh, let's see, I graduated uh, with my BFA in illustration in 2004. Uh, okay. Great time to graduate uh, in America, not so much. Um, and especially as an illustrator, there was a lot of work out there for me. So I, uh, I remember spending long nights um, t- uh, actually teaching myself HTML, uh, Java, PHP. Nice terrible languages Um, and uh, so I I actually taught myself how to how to code and would use that uh, to um, sort of propel uh, certain um, job interviews that I might have so I I, I took a number of interviews none of them had anything to do with drawing or illustration um, once I came out with my uh, BFA in 2004 so my very first job, um, that I finally landed a job, um, was a consulting position. So when I started, I was a freelancer. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a 1099 form that I had to fill out and, you know, I made my own hours and all of that. And I, I think I was at the ripe age of, uh, 22 or 23 and I bombed that job so hard. (laughs) I mean, it was one of those jobs that, um, uh, you know, it took, it was supposed to be two weeks. <clears throat> it was for a huge client. And I was working with um, a really great talented group of designers and copy uh, writers and ad folks. And, um, you know, it was at the end that like every, we were all all together scrambling to get something done. And yeah. I really realized that there was so much that I just didn't know about being a practicing designer. Um, and it was, it was the best medicine for me to, uh, to
0: learn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So then the consulting thing did not go as planned.
1: No, it did not go as planned. So, uh, that was my first real gig. I mean, that was the first gig that I, I got taxes taken out of a check for, you yeah. know, first real gig. And then, you know, I found, uh, I found a job, um, at, uh, at a print shop. Um, nice. that was my first, yeah, that was my first, like, um, big sort of big girl job I and mean, we were all kids but it
0: was sort of <laughs> my first big
1: girl job um, where I was like I had health insurance and um, that was a really great experience inside of those walls at the print shop um, I learned like soup to nuts, right? Like everything that I sort of needed to know about invoicing, about, um, you know, workflows, um, about real estate in terms of um, like the page and printing and um, being economic about printing supplies. Like all of those things that you sort of need to know and have under your belt when you're starting your own business or you're being a productive member of somebody else's business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those are the things that I learned there. And while I was there, um, I kept on moonlighting, um, designing websites, um, creating logos, doing all the things that a young graphic designer um, in 2005 really, you know, it's like wanting to do, chomping at the bit to do. And so I started doing that and I mm-hmm. built up my portfolio. Um, and eventually uh, in 2008, I applied to and got into graduate school and I started my grad career at that time.
0: Perfect. And a great time to, you know, not be trying to find a job, I hear. That 2008-2009 yeah. area.
1: Sadly, um, the, the shop that I worked for um, had to close its doors yeah. December of 'oh eight when I was nicely nestled in the, con- like, the, the happy place of grad school.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So where did the first teaching gig come from?
1: Okay, so of course, when uh, I was in grad school, I had the opportunity to um, to teach uh, to co-teach a class. Um, it was the print, it was a print class. Yeah. Um, at VCU School of the Arts, and so uh, my studio mate, Maria Fabrizio, um, who's actually also in Columbia, South Carolina, shout out to her, uh, she and I both uh, taught a print class to juniors at VCU in the graphic design program, and that was a really fun and exciting experience for me, but um, of course under the umbrella of graduate school, it was also tainted with needing to get my thesis done, so so after graduate school, um, I took another position just an adjunct position in teaching um, while I was also working at a local design agency as a full-time designer after grad school and um, I really enjoyed it so much and About six months after I graduated, I was offered an assistant professor, tenure-track assistant professor position in Petersburg, Virginia, at Virginia State University, and I I left my job at the agency, my full-time job at the agency, and I went to start teaching
0: full-time. Perfect. So that was the first transition there. And did you apply for that job, or did they seek you?
1: Well... They sought me out, uh, but I th- i think, you know, they were looking for uh, somebody in the area. I think there were a few people, uh, a few really awesome folks in Richmond at the time that they were seeking out, and um, I was one of them. At least I think that, and uh, uh, I applied. <laughs> and so I guess it was within the year. Yeah, it was within the year that I graduated uh, from my with my MFA that I was yeah.
0: uh, uh, full-time. See, that's part of what I love about doing this podcast is when I... When I start with a guest, or when I'm connecting with a guest, you know, I almost make a point of it to know as little as possible. I want to know. Mm-hmm. I want to know just enough that it it makes sense for you to be on the show, that it's a fit. But I didn't know that you had this print background and you taught some print production, and that's that's awesome for reasons I can yeah. get into later. But it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I want to dive even further back than that now, and I want to hear a little bit about your childhood I want to hear do you feel that you had a creative childhood that like pointed (laughs) you in this career path
1: you know I think um, so I do this workshop uh, called the self-defining memory workshop and I've done this workshop in the Middle East I've done it with students here in the States and Mm -hmm. Um, And inside of that workshop, I talk about what's called a self-defining memory, and it's a psychological term um, that sort of uh, it's meant to take you back to a a place in your um, in your life that was so impactful that you can remember the smells, the feelings, the colors, that everything. It's a very visceral experience. Right. Um, And so, you know, when when I hear you ask that question, I'm thinking about it. I can I can think back to times that were self-defining when I was a child. Mm where a creative outlet was extremely necessary for me, right? But I was also one of those kids who took 16 years of classical piano. So I'm the daughter of an immigrant. My father's Iranian. Mm -hmm. My mother is American. Um, And my brother, um, who was four years older than me, was playing the piano. I think I was uh, was four years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to do that too. So (laughs) if he can do it, I can do it. So we started me playing piano, and I and I played it for um, <clears throat> well, until it was well into college. Um, but that is a very different type of creative outlet for me. That was all about rigor and practice and mm-hmm. being able to mm-hmm. perform under stress, because you had these recitals that you had to you had to perform, and if you missed a note, you had to keep going. And so there's a, a level of resilience that was instilled in me with regard to that. But the visual um, practice and, and that sort of creative outlet really sort of happened um, uh, uh, and not by accident, um, probably by design, but um, I just remember my aunt uh, passing away and sort of, Veering to photography, I had this Ooh. Minolta camera, yep. um, my dad's old Minolta from the 70s, and I learned how to how to um, you know put some film in there and, and 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 actually create prints out of it or out of the the uh, photos that I would take, and mm-hmm. um, I started crafting and and all of that around that time. It was during the summer, mm-hmm. and. You know, I think that that had a measurable impact on me. And oddly enough, in that, in that time frame,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my next door neighbor was actually teaching a um, little summer school class uh, for second graders. And I was 13 years old at the time. And she had me come in and teach the second graders how to shoot photography and how to make things out of, uh, out of uh, cut paper. Yeah, And if we're to look back, um, it's pretty clear that that event had such an impact on helping shape who I am today. And only recently have I sort of put that together within the past couple of years.
0: Isn't it amazing? We go through these experiences as kids. And then, you know, in our adult lives, we go, you start reconnecting little memories and little bits of the past, of your childhood, of of teenage days that really shaped how you make decisions, shaped how you interact with others, what you are afraid of doing, all these sort of things like that. And even in the last year and a bit, I've been taking on this personal challenge or exercise of trying to understand those and trying to figure out if those are serving me now or if they're holding me back from different things. So it's a, it, it's fascinating that you know you have experience with a workshop doing that but also that you're able to make that connection yourself going back to that specific, the tangible creative memory. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. sort of along that same vein, um, you know, <clears throat> that was a very influential moment in, in your life that has impacted you. What has been the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you?
1: So this is tough. I... Um, So I think that I I could splice this in two ways. One would be uh, influential design that I've seen. And then another would probably be um, influential design that I've been part of. Perfect. Just sort of like a a little part, a a cog in in the wheel of. So um, this the most influential design experience that I've had, that I've seen was um, going to the Venice Biennale in 2017. Um, That was the first Biennale that I've been to and you know, my partner likes to call it um, the Olympics of art, because every participating country sends one and their best, right? <laughs> and, and it, it sort of feels like that, you know, and so uh, I, I remember being there and, and, the, and sort of the, um, the excitement in the year around that, and also just the incredible visuals of that. And I, um, I carry that with me for sure. So that was an incredible experience of design of being. Uh, just seeing it. But being a part of it, you know, I tr- I'm trying to think of like projects um, when 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 I hear a question like that. And mm-hmm. so since I'm veering sort of toward projects, <clears throat> I would say the um, sort of most influential design that I've been a part of so far, and I've been a part of some really great projects, but this one in particular would be um, Fictionis Typographica, which was actually created by Eric Brandt, who's at um, uh, Minneapolis um, College of Art and Design. And he was, uh, this is a global design project, global typographic design project, where, um, uh, yeah, designers from all over the world were submitting, um, based on his criteria, he would ask them to submit um, works. And then he would wheat paste these um, these, these creations. He would print them out on a particular color paper, Mm -hmm. black ink only. And then he would wheat paste them on the side of his, I think it was his garage or studio, but you know, I could be wrong about that. Document it, photograph it. And what's happened is that this actually has become this, like, it's a book now. It's been published by Formist. Mm -hmm. And it's this I think he calls it a typographic phone book, but it's a tone, it's huge, and it's so gloriously um, created and presented and bound and designed, and the whole thing is just so incredible. Um, I think being just a tiny little bit of that has been a really wonderful experience because, God, it's just a beautiful
0: piece of print production. Oh, that sounds incredible, both from the design and typographic angle, but also when you take something like that, that's so visual and you create it to be something tangible that more than just you can interact with, that is just magical.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Love it. (laughs) Mina, who are some of the designers and brands that you currently look up to and closely follow and what is it about them that you like?
1: So, I, I wouldn't, okay, I, you know, the probably not a brand, but, but when I, I think about people, I think, okay, yeah. people I, I look up to. Um, and I do not have any, anybody that I look up to that I haven't met. And I think that's probably a good rule of thumb. I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I realized, um, you know, when thinking about this question, I was realizing that, okay, well, I, I actually, I've met everybody that I look up to. Mm -hmm. And whether or not I looked up to them before I met them, I've still met all of them. So, um, you know, we do have the heavy hitters. Um, Debbie Millman is somebody that I look up to. I have met her and I met her at a a particular time in my life where um, I needed to meet her and ask her some questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with Michael Beirut. Um, These are two people. Who I just so happened to meet during pivotal times in my life, uh, Michael Beirut, just a year and a half ago, um, after having my daughter and asking him like certain questions about parenthood and design, <laughs> which is a really hard balance to strike. I can imagine. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And so the, you know, I met these two people who, who have had an impact on my, uh, on me from, a, an outward, uh, sort of career stance. But then there are people that I've had the opportunity to work with that. I still 100% see as mentors and people that I look up to. Um, these are people, um, and I'm realizing mostly women, um, who have been, uh, supportive mentors and, um, who, who have been people that have shown me things I didn't even realize that I needed to know. Mm-hmm. And there, there are people who I went to grad school who, with, who taught me and, and also people that I worked with, um, uh, specifically at the university of Louisville that, um, were really, really
0: helpful. That's awesome. I love that rule though, of, you know, you have to got to meet them. You look up to people, but you got to meet them.
1: Yeah, as a young designer, I met, uh, or I I thought that I was looking, I thought that I, I admired some people. I had the opportunity to meet some of them. And I...
0: Quickly
1: changed my tune. Perfect. Not naming any names. that
0: can happen. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, All right. I'm going to touch a little bit on your home base here with this next question. You know, kicking it back a little bit to the print production days. I want to hear about how you have utilized print and packaging in your creative career and any stories or really unique experiences you've had with print and packaging that you can share with us.
1: Yeah, okay, so there are a couple of them. Um, And I've I've had the fortune, really, of being able to work with some really cool um, uh, groups, some really cool organizations. and yeah, yeah, I really have. And I, and I'd say that um, the the ones that stand out for me with this question um, are there are two of them. One would be the Leadership Council on Legal Diversity, which um, is a organization that is based in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. that is uh, been over time uh, working to change the overall shade of color of the legal profession often, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we as humans, we, we tend to um, uh, sort of go toward those who look like us, right? And mm-hmm. so that's obviously been no different in the legal field. And mm-hmm. so, you know, people would hire people that sort of look like them. Well, um, what the LCLD for short, was doing at the time, um, was working to, uh, to just sort of, Change that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working with the Honorable Eric J. Holder, who was um, uh, their keynote during this time. So I was able to actually create this uh, uh, printed piece. Um, that was, of course, their conference guide. Everything that that you would see that was printed at the entire conference, um, any of the um, the the signage, all the wayfinding. Um, uh, we were doing photo shoots. We were um, uh, setting up, um, you know, like actually physically going there and setting some of these things up ourselves um, to make sure that all of this went off without a hitch because it was their very first annual um, uh, conference. Uh, so so all of the work that I did for that conference I think was a really exciting um project and gave me the uh capa- or the, actually yeah the capacity to do not just printed paper work but also different substrates like printing on metal um and and, and other types of of printing mm-hmm. the other one that comes to mind um, when I think about um, uh, how I've utilized print um, and in really fun sort of ways is like um, anything that I've been able to do to make a printed piece um, do something unexpected or have a life other than the life that you expect it to live um, has been a great experience. So
0: so just before you get into that, I want to say that this is what is so amazing about print. Is because when you're scrolling through Instagram and you come across a digital ad, when you're on Facebook and you see a digital ad, when a Google ad thing pops up while you're trying to watch a video or something like that, those have become the norm of, where's the X button? Where's, where's the X? Like, it's, it's an inconvenience now. and But now print has become something that you can create incredible experiences with and really surprise and delight people. With it,
1: that's the word right there. Yeah, surprise and delight.
0: Yeah. So now I want to hear how you have executed this on this project.
1: Yeah, yeah. We should talk about disruptive design at some point, but uh, we'll, yes. let me go back. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, um, specifically the you know one of the projects that I'm thinking about would be. Um, A project that I did for uh, VCU, which is a Virginia Commonwealth University School of the Arts, Um, they have a really incredible kinetic imaging MFA program. Um, And at the time, what they were looking for was something, uh, they wanted a poster because uh, you know, for with all due respect, that's what they need to ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a poster to support and promote um, the submissions to our MFA program. Uh, we need to be able to put this up in universities. Students need to be able to see this when they're going to their next class, things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what, you know, when you have a poster that is sort of uh, just existing flat on a wall, um, that doesn't actually do all that it could do uh, for a, um, say an admissions counselor or an undergrad or a graduate um, admissions um, uh, advisor. So what I proposed was um, a very, very, very simple solution um, to this problem, which was um, taking the poster allowing it to have two sides and then creating a die cut that would allow this poster to um be kinetic it would it would flip and fold so that you would have a brochure and a poster all in one beautifully displayed poster uh, marginally like a hairline seam down mm-hmm. the middle that was cut but you couldn't even tell um and then on the back it was a complete book and, yeah. and it had all the information. And then we went, they loved the idea so much that we did that. And then we went so so far as to um, create what is called, or what we called, um, the little black box. And um, in any gallery setting for, uh, you know, an AV um, exhibition or the AV part of an exhibition, you'll have uh, the black box, right? This little cube, it holds all the AV equipment. Well, appropriately for them, Um, we created this, uh, this sort of jewel case, uh, black box, that when flipped open, um, and all of this was handcrafted with paper, when flipped open, um, opened up to an accordion fold book that took you, again, a linear timeline, right? An accordion fold. Everything was very, very thought through. Um, Took you from as a timeline from one part to the next, talking about the various faculty that you might be working with if you were to come to this um, graduate school. And then the other opportunities that students had. And at the very, very end, we had a little cutout area that a USB that was printed mm-hmm. <laughs> again, on different substrates, right? Uh, a USB that had all of the information that was uh, needed, and of course, that was back in I think 2011, 2013, um, and it was it was a hit. It was a great,
0: great piece of work. That's so great. Again, you storytelling and surprising using yeah. print as that tangible medium. Need more of that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That dis- that, and about disruptive design, disruptive design used to mean something other than disrupting your day with a pop-up. I mean, yes. it, it actually used to mean something um, to help in terms of wayfinding and environmental design. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's, it's sort of uh, becoming this is uh, another
0: thing that I don't think it meant to be. <laughs> no, like when I hear disruptive design, what I really picture that as is something that's disrupting your patterns, but in a way that's exciting not in a way that's annoying. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Mina, the next few questions I have for you, take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull you through the mud and get those god-awful stories out of you again. Um, I promise I'll turn it around and we'll end in a happy place though. So first off, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was that time challenging and how did you get through it?
1: Dude, I I think almost, I think my answer is going to be just a jerk answer. I'm sorry, but
0: if you're- Well, that is the end of part one of this interview. I'm going to leave you hanging right there. I wonder if her answer is a jerk answer. I guess you'll have to tune into part two tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to part one of my interview with Mina Khalili. Part two goes up tomorrow. See you then.